You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible is Literature. Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature Podcast. Good morning, Dr. Benton. Good, Good morning, morning, Father, Father Paul. Father. Welcome to both of you. Good morning. So today is going to be kind of a fun topic because Richard and I have spent some time talking about Job on our regular podcast that comes out on Thursdays. And we've talked about the problem with self-righteousness and the victim mentality. There was some interesting connections with the Gospel of Mark. So today we thought we'd bring Father Paul on to talk not just about Job, but specifically the name of Job. The name Job in Hebrew is Iob. So we have an Aleph, a Yod, and a Bet, Ayab. That's the root. Now, the verb ayeb and the participle oyeb reflect enmity. Oyeb is the enemy, the fiend, the opponent. Ayeb is to act inamically, opponently. For someone who knows the language, it's already very clear. Now, interestingly, very early on, we hear about satan, which translates as Satan. Again, we transliterate Satan in Hebrew is the opponent mainly in a court of law, the prosecutor. This is very clear from his function in the story. He is a member of the council of God. He is not an outsider. He has a business, as we hear very often in TV shows. The district attorney, the prosecutor. In the story of Job, he is trying to make a case against Job. And thus he is, if you like, playing the role of the enemy of Job, the one who is adversary. Let me take an aside to go over a few texts that are interesting. First would be Numbers chapter 22, verses 22 and then 23, 24. But God's anger was kindled because he went and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary, which in the original is Satan. Now he was riding on the ass and his two servants were with him and the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand and as the ass turned aside out of the road and went into the field and Balaam struck the ass to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. So he was trying to stop Balaam and his ass. Now, an interesting text early in Genesis 3 combines, if you like, these two elements of enmity and the serpent, which is representative, if you like, of the prosecutor who is trying to convince Eve. And we have the word enmity in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity without going into the original. It is the same root from Ayeb. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see the expression of opposition. They are working against one another very much like the angel of the Lord and Balaam's ass. Now, on the other hand, just to go to the root of words, the serpent is Nahash in Hebrew. 
Now, interestingly, Nahash, this root, appears in related words from that same root, where the connotation is omen, bad incantation. And then we have also the same root expressing the bronze, the copper, as with Nehushtan in 2 Kings 18.4. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah and he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had burned incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. Now, those from a Middle Eastern background will have made immediately the connotation with the word Nahs in Arabic. You know, the Sheen and the Seen are actually the same letter in Hebrew. So Nahash, Nahas in Arabic, which means bad eye, omen. Now, it's known in the Middle East that you put around your wrist a bracelet of copper to counteract the omen, the bad incantation. I like often in this regard to bring this example because we have exactly the same kind of play on the root. In Arabic, the copper is nahas. The smith is called in Arabic nahas. And so we have this connotation. Now, why am I saying all this? Because I'm convinced that in the book of Job, the play is on who the adversary is. Notice that the name of the proponent is Job, and thus he is the adversary. On the other hand, we have Satan that plays the adversary. But one has to remember, if I am your adversary, you are my adversary. And thus, we have two opponents. Remember Genesis 3.15, where we have an opposition, an enmity between you and the woman. But then, and I would like to bring this very interesting text. There are a lot, but this one is powerful because it uses the root ayeb. In Isaiah 63.10, we hear, which is very unpleasant to all our ears, east, west, north, and south. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. We have a parallel text without the use of enemy at the end of chapter 2 in Amos, where it is God as the general of the army who fights against his own army. And that is... Very important, and I believe that it has a central role in the book of Job. And here I have to move about the function of the story of Job, which is totally misunderstood. The people like always after the fathers to play on the suffering of Job, and he is an image of Jesus. Don't you ever say this to me, because Job is a bad guy. Okay, <laughs> we have other images for Jesus in the Old Testament. He is the bad guy because he wanted to justify himself. He was convinced that he didn't do anything wrong. And with this, God has no problem. The problem that God has with Job, that's why at the end he will intervene and shut him up, literally, at the end of the book. It is because Job instead of pleading innocent as one is supposed to do in a court of law, 
he declared himself innocent and thus he played the role of the judge and that already in the story of Adam in Genesis the human being is not allowed to take this position because only God is the judge in the Bible let me repeat this for my first time hearers the trouble is in our self-justification we declare ourselves just and this is the point that is brought up in the famous parable of the Pharisee and the publican it's not that the Pharisee was doing anything wrong actually he was doing only good stuff but then he said I'm not like this other person I am just and the text plays a curveball against him by saying that the publican went down more justified than the Pharisee in the eyes of God. And thus the famous statement, do not put yourself in a high position because you will be put down. Be humble. You may be raised. You never know. Like people assume that the gospel is saying whenever you're invited, sit at the last end of the table because definitely you will be invited to sit upwards. Well, it's not true. You don't know whether you're going to be promoted. Like when you apply for an upgrade in the airplane, it's not true. But should you decide to sit at the head of the table and someone else more important than you comes in, you're going to be demoted because there is a protocol as to how people sit. We all know that. So that is the whole issue with Job. My conclusion is that the author on purpose chose the word Job. He could have chosen any other word that would have fit the story. To keep in your mind until the end the tension as to who is the adversary of whom and thus job at the end proved himself to be the adversary of god beyond satan remember satan is a member of the council he had to be allowed by god to test job he could not have done it on his own authority very important that's why the bible tells you not to fear satan it doesn't mean that you don't fear satan because you love god no it doesn't matter forget about the love of god you have to fear god and not satan because ultimately as the judge he may prove to be your adversary should he decide to condemn you again understand adversary enemy as opponent the one who takes the opposite position let's hear it this way it's like two armies at war every army prays god more often nowadays the same god to win but at the end unless there is a tie one of the two wins but both are adversaries so ultimately in the book i believe god was the adversary testing job through satan remember satan disappears in the book the debate is between job and the other philosophers that were wrong even the young elihu was wrong 
but it doesn't mean that Job was right. Remember my statement very early in my first commentary on 1 Thessalonians. If you and I disagree, one may be right and the other wrong, or the other may be right and the one is wrong, or, which people forget always, both, we both may be wrong, but we both cannot be right if we take opposed positions. So it's very important to remember. And this is what the book of Job is trying to say. Make sure in whatever you do, you do not put yourself de facto, de facto, not what you think. Intentions do not count, remember. Intentions do not count. I learned this very early here in the United States, that if there is no homicide, there is always manslaughter if someone has died. So you cannot say, well, I'm innocent because no one has died. No, no, one has died. So we are dealing with the death of that someone. And then the judge will decide whether it was intentional and thus homicidal or, you know, by mistake. But still there is a manslaughter and one is responsible for that. If your car hits someone, then you are responsible. So in this sense, I'm saying one has to be extremely careful not to fall in the mistake of Job by assuming the position of the judge and thus putting oneself in an adversarial position against ultimately not the appointee of God, which is Satan, but de facto against God himself. Let me repeat, Satan disappears very early. He's just at the beginning of the story. <laughs> the one who is at the beginning and appears again at the end and controls everything. And he reinstates Job in his position to give him another chance. That is the story of Job. It's not that Job is the good guy, as I keep hearing, because he suffered. If this is true, then every student who is punished by his teacher should feel like Job and thus a saintly man or woman. And so, no, my friend, it's not so. It's not so. The suffering can be earned. The only one who did not earn his suffering is the servant of Isaiah, period. But he suffered, although he didn't earn it. Very important to remember that. My good buddy here, who is my insurance man, and he's a Mormon, Latter-day Saint, fantastic. I stop and see him now and then, and then his poor daughter, who had an accident in one knee just recently last week when I stopped. He had another accident in the other knee, and she is a sportswoman. She was devastated, and I felt bad for her. And then he told me, Father Paul, you could feel bad, but it's not going to change anything, because I said to my daughter, if you are good, it does not mean that bad things are not going to happen to you. Imagine that. Imagine that. I had to hear it from this Mormon, Mark Ellenberg. He said this to his daughter. If you are good, it does not mean that bad things are not going to happen to you. This is fantastic. This is the message of the book of Job, <laughs> which means do not start going in the direction 
of feeling a saint. I'm sure you heard a lot of Orthodox talking about this. I feel. It doesn't matter what you feel. Make sure in whatever you do, you do not put yourself directly or indirectly, intentionally or unintentionally, in an adversarial position towards God. And we put ourselves in such a position only and solely when we play the role of judge. That's it. The rest does not count. What happens, happens. The judging is to God. And remember, Matthew, do not judge before the time. If you judge, you will be judged. Remember, very important, and Paul has stressed this already in 1 Corinthians 4. Do not do anything before the time. And this is what Job did. Actually, Job is quoted at the beginning of 1 Corinthians. And I think there is an interconnection there that I tried to show in my commentary on 1 Corinthians. Don't play Job. And that is why it aches my heart every time I hear people from across the denominations giving Job as an example for us to follow. And the worst thing is when we give him as an example of the suffering Jesus Christ. No, we can't do that. So the enmity ultimately is the enmity between us and God. Now go back with me to Genesis. We have the same thing. This Nahash, this serpent, is an omen. (laughs) This serpent plays the role of Satan, although the name is not there. But you could understand why in the New Testament it is referred to as Satan in the book of Revelation. This original enemy, Satan, the serpent. Again, it's functional. It's not whether the serpent is Satan or not, because we fall into this trap of personalizing. Let's stick with functionality. Yes, the Nahash in Genesis plays the same role as the Shatan in Job. But to go whether Satan existed before the times and fallen angels and so on, I mean, the fathers got us into this trouble which we can get out, unfortunately, today. But we must do the effort. It is ultimately Job that proved himself the adversary of God, and having done so, he has shown that given his situation, God is ultimately the adversary that has the upper hand. And here I would like to go back to Isaiah 63.10, and let me quote the previous verse, because it's interesting. I keep forgetting, and then I remember that I betray myself. I impose on all my students to quote passages, and then I fall in the trap of quoting verses. Here we go. For he said, this is verse 8 of 63 Isaiah, Surely they are my people's sons who will not deal falsely, and he became their savior. In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity he redeemed them, he lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. You see how we do? We like to quote the Bible only up to there. That was verse 9. But immediately after that, in 10, we hear, but they rebelled. In Hebrew, it's 
and they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned into their enemy and himself fought against them. That is extremely impressive. And that would be the story of Job, that ultimately it is God who took his position. And I turn to the Hebrew, very interesting. And he turned himself into their Oyeb, and then who it is he? Nilham Bam. Nilham is the technical word that means to war against, to fight against. That's why in Arabic, the epic stories, which are usually stories of war and so on, are called Milhama, where two swords hit one another. In Arabic, the Laham is the welder, the one who welds. Very interesting. So it's not that he fought in a rink against them. No, he fought warlike against them. And that's why I hear 63.10 of Isaiah as parallel to the last verses of Amos. That's the story of the meaning of Job. The thing that came to my mind is at the end, after the Lord's long speech to Job, then he says to Eliphaz, you have not spoken to me the right thing like my servant Job, and then Job has to go and sacrifice on behalf of Eliphaz and the friends. It seems to me, unless I'm wrong, that Job is, even though wrong, more correct or less wrong than the friends. Less wrong and more correct. Only we Americans use the word the most senior. It's like the bestest and so on. (laughs) That's not the idea. The idea is that these people are eliminated out of the arena before the ultimate showdown before God. It's the finals. You have people that are eliminated. So the first thing, because Job has different functions, obviously. Remember that Job is at the head with the book of Psalms of the wisdom literature. He's making fun of the Greek philosophy, obviously. And these people, the elders, sitting together and arguing, are like philosophers. It's like the dialogues of Plato, deciding what is justice and what is beauty and what is correctness. All these words that we translate in English with hoods and ships, and I make fun of sainthood and kingship and so on. These do not exist. We have basically actors That's why in all plays, you have someone playing a part, like Honest Abe about Lincoln. You know, you write a book about honesty to children and you speak about Abraham Lincoln. That's how you do things. Here we have philosophers arguing in a way as though God is not around. They are deciding for themselves if Job is righteous or unrighteous. Now, in this sense, I'm not saying that Job was unrighteous. Absolutely not. Exactly like the Samaritan. He was righteous and the others were wrong, assuming that he was struck because he did something bad. Remember my good buddy, the Mormon here. (laughs) If you are good, it does not mean that things bad are not going to happen. The mistake... And thus, in this sense, he was righteous and he was right 
in his assessment and they were wrong. And thus he is the one to atone for them. It's like in our liturgy where the priest is referred to as the saint of God, the one who serves in the altar. And he does this in the name of the people. So in this sense, all the others are eliminated to the side. Why is the book of Job so long? Precisely because it is anti-Plato and his lengthy dialogues. The yak, 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 yak. Then the story at the end is very funny. <laughs> so this is the way I would hear it. That Job is still salvaged in the assessment of his righteousness. As the righteous one, he does the offering so that they would not be totally condemned. But then they disappear and you have the rest of the book, which is very important. Remember how I always say in the parable of the prodigal son, you cannot stop at the end of the story of the prodigal son. You have no right to do so because the author continues and includes the older brother. So everything is functional. It's interesting to me to see how the function of Satan is used throughout the canon. By the time you go from how Satan functions in Job to how Satan functions in the Pauline corpus, there's a conflation of human judgment, like you were saying, human power and kingship with the function of Satan. Here you brought to my mind something I could have mentioned, but you know, we can't mention everything in every podcast, but now you gave me the opportunity to say that Satan, when rendered in Greek, is diavolos, from the verb diavalo, which means to throw in between, to split. So he plays on your mind. Let's go back to the serpent in Genesis. Is it so? Is it not so? And so on. He tries to throw adversity between two people. So the choice of this Greek word is very important. And the letters of Paul use both. Revelation use both. And at one point, you know, they are used in parallel. So very obviously, that's the meaning of the word. By the way, the translation in the Greek proves my point that the words are functional. When you hear about Satan, you have diavolos. And while speaking, I opened to Job 1.6 in Greek, and you have ko diavolos ilthen metafton, and the devil, the diabol, came with them. So very clearly, that's the rendition of Satan. It's exactly what the lawyer does, whether uh, the defense or the prosecutor. That person tries to put a chasm in the minds of the jury. You pull the people towards you and away from the others. The reaction very early in Genesis is not to entertain debate. Remember the early fathers of the desert said, when you are tempted, just make the sign of the cross. Then the angel of darkness that appears to you as an angel of flight will disappear. All this is taken from 2 Corinthians. In other words, don't entertain debate because you will lose. It's like people who say, I would love to have a conversation with Plato. Trust me, you don't love that because at the end, he is going to be the winner and convince you because he can play with words. Just settle for the command of God on the basis that he is your father and he knows 
what is best for you and you have it in the story of Jesus in Gethsemane. And that's how mothers tell their children, because I'm your mom and I know more than you do and anyone else what's for your good. Now, it doesn't mean that you're bound to do that because you could choose to do the opposite. You see, people always tell me, Father Paul, you impose. I don't impose anything. You can do whatever you want. But I'm asking you not to impose on me to say only the things that you like. So that's the function of the diavolos, to put a doubt. Let's go to the courtrooms. You could see even the conversation, you know, we need to throw a doubt in the mind of the members of the jury. That's the whole issue of the temptation. And I believe ultimately the temptation is for you to assume you, whether you are a member of the jury or whether you are a human judge, how very often we hear about the news that a decision was made and sent someone to life prison or even to death, and it was discovered 10 years later that that person was not the culprit. That, according to Scripture, does not and will not happen in God's court. There lies the difference. We all better hope in God's court and not in the human court. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul plays on these two expressions, the human day and the Lord's day, which is in translation given as the human court, obviously. So what you just said, technically, Paul had said it. And by the way, this is where he says, that's why I do not even judge myself although I do not feel that I have anything against me. It's phenomenal. That's the message. Fear the real enemy, God. That's the law. And that's a good place to wrap today's episode, Father Paul. Thank you for your Thank time you today. Much. Okay, buddies. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.